Some thought it was all over. Well, it's certainly not now. Let's get started. And they are going to win! Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix! Three cars going wheel to wheel as Perez is caught by Charles Leclerc and his three cars gone off! It's a DNF for MAX! The world championship record is equals. Lewis Hamilton, seven-time champion of the world! Are you playing on the football thing where they think it's all over? It is now! Is that what you're doing, uh, playing yes, words on that? Yes, yes, uh, pretty much okay. was, yeah. I'd, I'd love to go okay, and say cool. that was all me, but um, that would be plagiarism. How is your early prediction uh, holding up, Tom? Uh, well, my early prediction is still holding up, but um, I'm less confident in that prediction, shall we say, uh, looking at the form and the raw talent of Lewis Hamilton in that Mercedes car. Once again, winning a race, this time in Qatar. Of course, there was such a mountain for Verstappen to climb, courtesy of that penalty, but still... A win's a win. Second place is less points. So um, I'm not, not confident. I'm just less certain of what I previously said. But um, we'll see. We'll see. Two races. So, yes, let's talk about that to start with. Max Verstappen getting himself a five-place grid penalty. Went from second to seventh. Uh, along with Valtteri Bottas getting a three-place grid penalty from third to sixth. And this all happened in the latter stages of qualifying when one Pierre Gasly, who ironically was actually then promoted to second, uh, got himself a puncher and came to a very gradual stop on the start-finish line. Um, Carlos Sainz was also summoned by the stewards, but he was not awarded or given a penalty. And that, in my mind, really set up what was inevitably going to be quite a, well not dull, but less interesting uh, Qatari Grand Prix because as nice as it is to see Pierre Gasly in second and Alonso in third, if you don't have Verstappen next to Hamilton or even a Mercedes next to a Red Bull on that start-finish line, you're always asking a lot for there to be a very competitive uh, race for the for the race win, I believe. But um, what do you guys think? Well, just when you thought we were going to be escaping the controversies, the dust had only just settled in the Formula One paddock from the disagreement, shall we say, um, of the previous week between Red Bull and Mercedes. We end up yet again having a a bit of a a bit of a mare at at the weekend because of these penalties. Now, it wasn't particularly clear cut and. It was kind of irritating, I think, this this time, because to be clear, the FIA had turned off the driver onboard signalling system and the LED light trackside signalling system 33 seconds before Verstappen came round the corner. Um, so for, for Verstappen and I, as it was with us, actually, from for spectators... It was all systems go because um, we saw the message pop up says track clear and the green flag appear um, for, for for Stappen. He didn't have anything telling him there was anything wrong um, apart from the, the the sort of real flag, which was, I think, barely visible. And so even the stewards were like, oh, yeah, well, we simp-, they said, actually, we sympathize with the situation. Um, but they kind of still gave him a penalty and that irked me slightly because previous uh, experience suggests that they do have some leeway if there is conflicting information and the the steward said well you know you should have seen there was a stricken car and uh, slow down but that's not how it works right because 
you're never going to lift unless you're being told to. So it's it's kind of like, well, what what is the rule then? You know, is it going to be a negative rule or is it a positive rule? Should every driver always lift if they see that a car is stricken at the side if there isn't any yellow flags or do you wait for the yellow flags and it kind of it's very confusing so Verstappen got the five place grid penalty for not for not lifting I don't think it was particularly fair I I think the stewards hands were forced because I think they have to penalize in this situation but I think there should be some leeway there Um, and then Bottas also got three place grid penalty for not lifting under single yellows again kind of annoying too and Carlos Sainz, apparently, though, he had just done enough. He'd done just enough lifting, enough slowing down um, to to not get a a penalty. So it was all a bit controversial. And then to make things worse, they waited until like an hour and a half before the race got going. Because I don't think they knew what to do. I think they were thinking, oh, we well we turned off the system why did you turn off the system by the way what that was just daft as well i don't know it irked me and then the fact that they left it to that last minute just sort of rubbed salt into the wounds but on the bright side we got gazers up to um p2 on the grid i don't know if anyone's called him gazers before but maybe we're (laughs) gonna coin that here yeah i think you made some um really good points in there tristan it is really difficult and to be honest there, it's very difficult to have an answer because as they've demonstrated, the FIA themselves have demonstrated, it's really difficult to work out what to do in this situation. I can't do it. And like, if they can't, I, I certainly can't sort of thing. But I think you made a good point when you said, should they be expected to lift off? I think it's, they should be expected to lift off, but they're racing drivers, so I don't expect them to. Yeah. If that, make, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. If you're a racing driver, you're just not going. You're not going to lift off until you, unless you absolutely have to. Why would Why would you? Your drivers, you know, we've not, we've seen it time and time again. These these drivers will get do anything they can, anything for that millisecond that might help them. You know, it, that's their their way of life, their attitude. That's how they think. So, whilst I think it's right that we should expect them to, I'm not surprised when they don't. And it obviously that does then make it difficult when it comes to penalising because it's like, well, of course they didn't. However, if it's in the rule book, I, I think, it, you know, it has to be penalised in some form. And obviously there's the, the controversy surrounding the particular marshal who could like continue to wave the flag when others said that it was no longer necessary, etc, etc. And I do got to say it's, it was obviously very wrong of Christian Horner to point fingers at that situation. But I think whether a marshal is right or wrong to wave the flag, if they're waving the flag, they're waving the flag. And that's the situation. That's that's the, you know, the mm-hmm. the state, the state of the course at that time. And mm-hmm. so whether this right or wrong, I'm not saying that he did the right thing or the wrong thing. Unfortunately, even if you did have a completely rogue marshal unless it was you know obvious sabotage by someone who was like you know trying to sabotage the championship it unfortunately if they're waving it they're waving it and that's they've deemed it necessary and that's what it is so whilst i agree it was frustrating and it seemed silly it, i can understand why they had to because if they don't punish that then they're not setting a precedent for future um and obviously this year has been so poor when it comes to penalties decision making and just the FIA in general have been struggling it seems like they can't do anything right at the moment and you, you I suppose you do have to feel from them a bit but every this it feels like every week we've almost had to discuss something a decision they've made and whether it was right yes, or not we never heard your opinions on the 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 DRS 
um, issue. If you if you haven't guessed by now, listeners, uh, Liv is returned um, to, to speak with us. She's back. Hi, Hi Liv. Um, Hi. <laughs> living the high life with Mahindra. Um, what what did you think about the the whole drama that went on last week? I can't believe you missed that one. But um, I think obviously last last week was insane. The amount of stuff that went on. I felt almost. Every week, don't I say this almost every podcast, like it feels like this year just couldn't get better and it couldn't get, it seems like the craziest uh, mm-hmm. season we've ever had. And yet again, it proved as that was the case. Like, I couldn't, it, I couldn't even believe it. It was almost one of those where I was surprised but not surprised when I would get the notification and it'd be like, oh, ha- Hamilton's been investigated. Oh, the staff has been investigated. What mm-hmm. for? Oh, he touched a car. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? It just almost felt comical because this is the, the stage we're at right now. And just quick shout out to Mercedes and Red Bull for being the pettiest group of people <laughs> I've ever known. Come on, honestly. Me and my dad were talking, actually, sorry, but of a side note, me and my dad were talking about how at the races, they don't, when they're in, doing pit stops, they don't move out of the way or lift up their, like, cords or whatever yeah, they are they for that. each other so oh mercedes because obviously they're the first ones in the pit lane, mercedes stand all the way across so so max can't sort of glide into position he has to go past mercedes and then turn in if that makes sense he can't sort of peel in mm-hmm. because mercedes stand in the way and then when they're leaving when when mercedes are leaving red bull stand in the way with their like cord thing all the way out so they can't whereas all the other teams lift it up yeah and it's out the, the hydraulic way. lines that's mm-hmm. the one so anyway so that's petty Christian Horner and Toto Wolf are children. <laughs> uh, like, I'm loving the drama, but my God. Um, but yeah, to go into, back to like, what did I think about last week? I thought it was all a bit much. Like, it, the, the reason it's happening is because they're they're complaining. They're on each other. Like, they're telling on each other. This the FIA, I don't think, would have picked up on either of, of those things necessarily to bring mm. up and punish. I don't think they would have. I don't think that I I don't. Hamilton's been quick loads. I just feel like they would have seen it as another Hamilton did quite well in quali. Fantastic. Move on. Because I don't... Or do you think he would have failed? Any- I, I, it's, it's one of those where I, I kind of feel that when it comes to this incident and, you know, the one in Brazil, if we're talking about the one in Qatar, um, mm. it, yeah. there, there are issues in terms of how the FAA have handled themselves. Yes. But when it comes to administering the law, the FIA have to go and be completely confident in what they're doing and not sort of go back or regress or show any form of insecurity because then you're getting into a dangerous position where the umpires of the sport, the referees, look vulnerable and look uh, able Mm. almost to be manipulated or uh, have their mind changed or anything like that. They look like they're insecure, essentially, which you just can't have. So I think that's why they had to go and Mm -hmm. say on this occasion, if we look at Qatar, that um, they had to go and give penalties to Bottas and Verstappen because otherwise it sets a very dangerous precedent. And similar to uh, Hamilton, Mm -hmm. when it comes to the the Brazilian uh, DRS incident, um, you know, it, there's a case to say probably him having that DRS uh, flap that was slightly too uh, far out of the sort of range didn't give him a sort of supercar, shall we say, over over Red Bull. But once again, they've got to lay, lay down the law. Otherwise, you get people picking holes in decisions, you get uh, accusations of bias, and then the sort of whole standing and credibility of the FIA goes down. And then if you don't have an impartial and well-respected referee of the sport, then... You just have chaos, really. Yeah. No, I think I think that's kind of my, what I was saying with the with the, when we're talking about the um, yellow flags and what we're talking about in Qatar is yeah 
whether it was right or wrong that the yellow flag was being waved by that marshal or whether it was the track was actually green or not, they have to punish what's written down, which is that if you're not lifting off during yellow, then, you know, that's what it is. So I completely agree. I think um, what happened in, in, in Brazil was, yeah, as I said, it just, it just seemed very crazy. But I understand the, the, the reason for the punishments and then the fact, obviously, that Max then got that penalty, that fine for touching. All I could think was... Sebastian Vettel <laughs> is quaking in space because this man, this man just walks around like Inspector Seb, just be picking people's cars apart basically after races. They they told him by the way that this week that that his nickname was Inspector Seb, and he had no idea because the man isn't on any social media. Yeah, bless him. But um, no, I think absolutely, I I completely agree, and I, I just quit because you might want my opinion because he did it last week. I also think that Max did push Lewis too far off the track on the corner instant, but. Anyway, <laughs> that was a whole different thing. Well, clearly, the stewards don't uh, don't agree with you. That's um... no. And this is the thing. And as Christian Horner said, it would be dangerous to always accept penal- um, inquiries or whatever, like weeks afterwards, because then people will always be constantly complaining about well, results. Blah blah blah. Well, exactly. There isn't there isn't a watchdog for the stewards, and this is kind of what's really yeah. frustrating. Is it feels like it's it's sometimes a bit arbitrary between decisions. And as a result, they they kind of have to look at judicial precedents. But then there's been so many and it's been so inconsistent that that you you kind of have to go, well, last time they did this. And so that's kind of what we're doing. But also we accept that it is very difficult to judge. You know, it's it's very difficult now. And the Qatar highlighted how there is, I think, sometimes that the stewards do get it wrong and i i think personally i think they got it wrong this time um i would have liked them to have you know gave max a a slap on the wrist and all of them and said right you know this is this is the problem the reason we're not giving you penalties we turned off the 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 signaling system the audio um audible warning system as well was turned off next time mm. we will not be turning that off and therefore you will have no excuse so this is the first time in F1 history that we were racing at Qatar. It's normally a circuit which is associated and driven by uh, motorcyclists rather than people in cars and single-seater cars uh, That when it comes to Formula 1. And it seems that the white triangles of doom, the curbs of this uh, circuit, seem to be playing havoc with uh, many different drivers. Those affected included uh, Bottas, Latifi, uh, George Russell as well as Lando Norris, who had a slow puncher, which meant he had to ultimately pit and lose his position in the race. And it seems, in my in my estimates, that um, this took me back in many different ways to the very first uh, Grand Prix of 2020, the Austrian Grand Prix, where we were being told once again via, uh, I suppose, the team radios who were communicating to their respective drivers, stay off the kerbs, stay off the kerbs, front left is looking dodgy, front right is looking dodgy, um, come in for a pit stop now to avoid a blowout. But um, yes, they were quite the topic of conversation, weren't they? Yeah, they were. And the, the I think kerbs have come up a few times really throughout, as you say, um, I was expecting Mercedes in general to have an issue. I know, but obviously Bottas kind of <laughs> led the way with the uh, tire problems. Um, the poor man. I mean, I feel so sorry for him because it felt felt like he had a little bit of good luck last last week when he got that virtual safety car in his favor and so they were like well you take one step forward and all the steps back again i saw he put out a an instagram of his bicycle route if you don't know 
Bottas is a supreme <laughs> cyclist, uh, mm. like semi-professional. And at the, at the moment, he, was, he had his distance and then the, the description was no punctures this time. So he knows definitely how to take things on the chin, which is thank thank goodness he doesn't get a chip on his shoulder about this stuff. Otherwise, he'd have no shoulder left by this point. He he unfortunately apparently rode the curb too much and it and it ruined his tyres. Now, we had mm. wings being destroyed in the race. We had the with Verstappen's potential wing damage. We had Gasly in qualifying. His wing was damaged by these. And it's all because the curbs themselves, the purple and white ones, were fine. But as you say, Tom, it's the outer curbs, which seem to be a little bit more bumpy, which were just savage um, to the to the drivers and to anyone who who rode over them and it was just it caused all the drama and we ended up having loads and loads of punctures um apart from well i I mean i suppose it's a testimony to to how verstappen and and hamilton were driving because they managed to avoid it hamilton i think avoided it completely as i say Verstappen a little bit um my suspicion is i think those who were having to charge and really try and get through the pack and really go flying around the corners perhaps had it had a worse time because there was so much opportunity to take the corners at higher speed and and utilize the large um curbs then as a result you did more damage your car lewis at the front was definitely cruising a bit you could see that throughout the race he was kind of let verstappen close up to six seconds and then pull back out to nine seconds so I think if you were in the front, if you were Hamilton and you didn't need to ride the curbs, then it was just an easy plane sailing race, to be honest. Um, He was just supremely quick. I'm not, I don't think there's that much love lost for me, not going back to this Qatar track in the future. As you say, Thomas, the first time we've gone to Qatar, we've got 10 years there. Um, Next time it will be a street circuit. We're not going there next year because of the World Cup, Um, but we will be going back in 2023 and going to a street circuit. So fingers crossed, the street circuit throws up some much more interesting racing because I felt like I was in a really difficult situation where I was excited because of the punctures, but that's the wrong type of excitement for me. That's exciting because I might see someone fly off into the gravel, which, by the way, is not gravel this time. It turned out to be small boulders. Um, <laughs> they were such big chunks of rock and what they were doing. Legit, legit. But, you know, I was waiting, basically, for someone to fly off into the wall. And that, to me, is the hallmarks of a poorly designed track. Yeah, I think you could see with this Grand Prix, it was definitely one that had been added in uh, as at the last minute. It wasn't one, as we say, that was uh, fit for purpose when it came to Formula One. And I agree when it comes to the punctures and blowouts that the uh, curbs created here at this Grand Prix. I remember putting into the group chat, oh, it's getting a bit exciting. And, you know, it kind of was insofar that you didn't know which driver would be next. But um, take away, I suppose, that artificial excitement, which I think it was. Mm-hmm. And you had really quite a dull Grand Prix in of itself, or should I say the race on Sunday. As I said previously, I think that's largely down to the fact that um, Verstappen wasn't at the front with Hamilton. But I, I do agree that there were those who were pushing, um, who would fall victim to this, uh, and those that didn't have to push, you know, didn't have to take the risk, if that makes sense. But um, it does surprise me still that, once again, we're seeing almost the Alpine luck um, come good again. It wasn't too long ago that uh, Ocon did the one-stop and was able to trundle the car home uh, in 10th place and collect a point. But um, it seemed that everybody around Fernando Alonso was getting blowouts or issues or being told to stay off the curbs. And then um, 
he got himself a lovely virtual safety car on the last two laps and um, jobs are good and on the podium first time since uh, 2014 up the Alpine. Yeah, so just going back to, um, I love how I said up the Alpine, um, <laughs> <laughs> going back to the tyres briefly, um, just also as well what Tristan said about um, Valtteri Bottas, I honestly have really grown to love him this year. I just think he's he is the king of taking things on the chin and just getting on with it because he's had such a rough year. He's being, you know, he's being used in situations that Mercedes need him to be used in because of his position in the team. And um, he, since he's signed for Alpha, he's so much more positive. He's funny. He's being really, really, really entertaining on social media. So shout out mm. to Valtteri. Anyway, um, I, with regard to the to the tyres, I am. Um, I immediately started thinking back. I don't know if you did, did to Silverstone last year when it was like a million yeah. degrees and everyone's mm. tyres just started exploding. Um, I kind of agree with you, Tristan. It was it's exciting, but not in the way that you want it to be. And I, I think it was. It's worth saying. I hundred percent agree. The curbs, like actually, what the hell? Like they were clearly were causing so many issues, not just on race day, but throughout the weekend. But. It is worth noting as well that Pirelli did state that those tyres would last uh, 30 laps and it was the lap 32 when they blew. So you've kind of got to say, yes, it shouldn't be like a massive, massive like tyre explosion, but they had gone beyond the the time, the lap time recommended Mm. for them. And um, I remember thinking, because obviously a number of cars were then taking the strategy to do a one-stop and carry on for as long as possible. As soon as that happened, I was then anxiously scanning the list to see who else was on a similar strategy and then who would blow out next. Mm. And of course, we didn't know it at the time, but that happened to Lando Norris, which was why he then pitted from a really good position to then come out and actually, you know, barely, you know, into a really poor position. But at the time i was like what the hell are they doing like why are they paying lando but of course we learned later that that was why so we'd already it's already happened to lando it was happening to to valtteri and i remember i'm waiting thinking oh who's who's going to go next like who's on a similar strategy and george's george's tire went and i was no i couldn't believe it and he limped back to the pits and i was absolutely gutted and i thought please god like don't happen to latifi now (laughs) like please i was literally thinking like this is not going to happen like the, the Williams guys it can't happen to both of them like it's going to be fine I was literally saying this word like I was speaking these words when when the cameras cut to Latifi <laughs> tire explosion yeah. limping across and I thought <laughs> you I almost I felt like it was my fault like because I, I'd literally said to my mum like oh well imagine if it happens oh. to Latifi next and then it, it cut to him I was like I can't believe I can't believe this has just happened but of course as you as you say um Tom it did obviously link um in the it did lead to the the result that we saw in the end because obviously unlike George Nicholas was unable to get his car back to the pits which obviously led to the virtual safety car which led to no one being able to catch up and that Fernando where he was but I think just a quick note on tyres before we move on I think talking about the the choices and the strategies the fact that both um, Gasly and Fernando did not expect to qualify where they ended up starting um, because of those penalties. Both Pierre, Gasly and Fernando Alonso were on their um, soft tyres, whereas Lewis wasn't. Yeah. So many were saying that he, he they could potentially take... I mean, obviously, it, it was Lewis Hamilton, so, you know, mm. it might be unlikely. But many were saying that they could actually get Lewis in the first corner because they had better tyres for that. You know, it wouldn't last, mm. but they had That's fresh tyres for that first yeah. stint. And... Um, and obviously, I saw an article that said Fernando actually expected, 
hoped to be in the lead at the end of that first lap because he thinks that Gasly he can get past and then Lewis is on worse tyres. Obviously, that wasn't quite the case, but as I'm sure we're going to talk about now, um, Fernando still managed to hold hold his position pretty much through to the end and secure that um, that podium for the first time in a very very long time. So how did you how did you feel about that? It was so good. Like it was one of those with respect to Pierre Gasly when I saw Alonso in third. If I had to sort of toss a coin and go, who's more likely to keep that position? You know, more times than not, your money's going to be on Fernando Alonso because, yes, he's in a inferior car, I'd say, in the Alpine. But it's one of these examples where he's come under fire once again for coming back to Formula One at such an older age and, you know, taking up a seat where perhaps a younger driver should have got it. But in these moments, it's his experience as a world champion, which I think is really invaluable on what he got uh, that position in terms of third. And that was really the best he could have hoped for. I think, you know, it's always good to be ambitious and to think to yourself, you know, why not second? You know, why not first even? And he did get up to, to second, as we saw in, uh, in lap one. But then as soon as the Red Bulls came along, then that was sort of it really, wasn't it, for competing for second uh, and first uh, by extension. Um, But yeah, really impressive. Another invaluable uh, string of points there for Alpine. Um, I'm I'm just impressed. Just impressed. (laughs) <laughs> they were they were helped, I think, by the, the safety car. When the virtual safety car came out at the end, because of course it was at the end, wasn't it? Before it could yeah, uh, yeah. before it could actually, you know, mix up the race a little bit. But that was definitely, I think, a, a bit of a relief for Alonso and the rest of the Alpine team. It was fantastic to see him on the podium after seven years. That's mm. uh, just absolutely crazy. Um and I mean, it was just it was just nice, actually. It was nice to see the, the Alpine team up there. And Alonso has worked for it this year. I feel like he's been rewarded. Let's not forget he did some amazing things, like holding up um, Hamilton back in Monza. He came on the radio actually on the during the race and uh, oh, yeah. said and said, um, "Tell tell Esteban to defend like a lion." Um, <laughs> unfortunately, he defended not quite like a lion, but he did a good job. Bear in mind that Esteban was defending um, on old tires, and Perez was was going to get past him. But he did a good job. He, he really fought fought. But I thought it was a really entertaining bit. It was a bit of camaraderie before the teams. Um, and also gave us a wonderful soundbite as well, um, which mm. I'm sure has been played many times. Um, so it was nice to see. It was nice to see the Alpine team on the on the on the podium. It, I felt like it solidified a little bit Alonso's place within the team, not just as a mentor. And I, I mean, what a mentor to have, you know, if you're if you're Esteban or other drivers as well. They do all chat and stuff. Um, so we've we've kind of it was it was a sort of on one hand it was a really great race ignoring the top two drivers i think if we if you took out hamilton and verstappen what you actually had there was a fantastic race for third um between perez which um overtook so many drivers it was uh the f1 commentators were saying you know he he probably thinks there's 30 drivers on the grid he he probably did he did a fantastic job of of getting back through the pack uh, twice um, effectively twice because of of Red Bull's decision to pit him, um, and, but he couldn't catch up with Alonso, and it was you know it was about as an exciting hunt for third as we've had before for first place. Yeah, it really did give me strong twenty twenty energy when you're looking at third place and thinking, nah, yeah, that's where the uh, the big fight's going to be. That's where our eyes are going to be on instead of you know going for the race win as we said. But um, 
Once again, Sergio Perez showing his worth in that Red Bull, showing he's got the potential to get good results in that car and that he can fight his way through the pack, which he's been so accustomed to doing, not only in this car, but sort of previously as well, looking back to his racing point in uh, Force India days. But um, I was really frustrated um, for Perez because... Essentially, the Red Bull strategy was, oh, very good, Perez, up to third, that's nice, and we want you to do that again, and giving him 15 laps to to get Alonso, who we know is so experienced, and that short window uh, of getting to there as well, as we saw with a virtual safety car, it only took two laps to be taken out uh, for that not to be possible, and you could hear his frustration, couldn't you? Um, when it came to his communication with the team saying we shouldn't have done this or we should have done it slightly differently. And, um, you know, it's one of those, it's it's easy, isn't it, to go and look back on one of the sort of less good performances in Sergio Perez and go, oh, well, you should have done it then, mate. But, you know, we're getting to the crunch point of the season now. Every point matters when it comes to the constructors. And you want Perez, you know, with a huge amount of confidence, fighting fit, chomping at the bits uh, to win, I suppose, the battle between the wingmen uh, or, or the second drivers of the two best teams. And um, I, I hope he's not too deflated from, from this race because regardless of uh, where he finished and indeed qualified, there's far more positives to take uh, than negatives. I think, you know, looking at this result, it reminds me a bit of um, when George Russell was racing for Mercedes in Bahrain. Like, it's not the result everyone wanted, but he showed his potential and quality to get past people and to be a very useful asset. So, um, yeah, keep the good vibes up, I'd say. I can't believe you just brought back George in Bahrain. Like, what was that for? <laughs> like, that is, a, is, is there, still, I'm still upset about it. And you just. There, <laughs> there's still far more positives to take from that if you draw Russell, No, I right? agree. But, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I agree. That's just, I, I'm just still scarred by that. But no, talking well, about Fernando. There are only three races. I know. I know. I can't believe we're going to see him in that car so soon. Anyway, I hope they still have the black livery and suits because I just think it just he just suited that, like, so much. Anyway, <laughs> Fernando. I, we've got to admit, if we look back to previous episodes, if the listeners want to be that petty, I have <laughs> been, I have been known to say that I don't 100% agree with Fernando returning to the sport just because of the incredible talent that is coming up from the lower series and who are struggling to even get a seat, whereas people who have had their chance um, are returning. However, obviously there's no denying, no, I've said it and I'll, I still believe it, you know. Um, however, I, you know, you have to admit he drove very, very well. This whole season, to be honest, he has, especially the latter half, really shown his his talent. He really has. And there's no denying that. And there's absolutely no way that I would. Um, whether whether he should be there at all, it doesn't matter right now because at the end of the day, he had a really good result. And um, I think, we've, yeah, you've got to shout out Ocon. It wasn't quite the same performance that um, Fernando achieved when, you swapped, when they swapped roles and they were helping each other back then. But... Um, yeah, shout out to Esteban because he wanted to return the favour and it, he did help. And obviously shout out to Nicholas Satifi, as I mentioned, <laughs> for having his tyre <laughs> blowout and failing to return to the pits because that then obviously led to that to that virtual safety car. But it, it almost felt okay that that was the case because, as so many have said, Fernando has sort of deserved a result like this this season. Um, regard, regarding um, Perez, I think... Uh, Tom, as you said, I found it hilarious in the sense that he would like work so hard to build his way back up, and they were like, "Back you go, mate!" And then he would yeah. literally disappear <laughs> at the back. Like that literally felt like what he was doing the whole time. But kind of like right of snakes and ladders. Yeah, <laughs> it just straight yeah. back in. And 
I did feel for him. Um, and I think that, as you say, in his mind and in the looking at the results, this wasn't his weekend. But, you know, he played a role. It would have been probably more like much more likely that he'd have achieved third and it would have been better for the team if he'd achieved third. But, you know, he did better than Bottas did. <laughs> so mm. at the end of the day, that's really good for the teams. And I think um, the way this race has played out as for me has just made everything so much more exciting because obviously the way that Lewis and Max have, have finished obviously makes things so much closer and there's a, there's literally a circumstance where at the end of the next race they could then go into the final race tied and like that's the most exciting yeah. thing ever so I really yes. hope that that's the case that I really hope that's the case because then people like Perez and Bottas will be paramount in in yep. stopping this you know and even even perhaps the even further um sort of team constructed teams as in like Williams may have to play a part or you know <laughs> Aston Martin may have to play you don't know how far the Toto and Christian Horner are going to go with this if it no, came down you, to the you don't, you don't. and, and you, we saw it with Gasly no I'm not even joking we saw it with Gasly no no I'm just letting... imagining it <laughs> yeah can you just imagine that like so-and-so getting team orders from Toto like it's possible and and it, we saw it with Gasly on the weekend in the fact he was had to let Max pass yes he kind of made a mistake but I personally think he went wide to to let Max pass and he was told there is proof that on the radio he was told so wow you know every result that's happened this season I'm happy about in the sense that it means that we are where we are now we're not however happy just a quick point before we go because I think you guys will agree with how things have turned out for McLaren <laughs> leading oh, into these final no, few races avoided McLaren <laughs> no, no. what's that about four four points in the in the triple header equal to oh Kimi Raikkonen equal to oh Kimi Raikkonen God. as a person and then you've got Daniel Ricciardo actual Daniel Ricciardo and fresh new exciting talent Lando Norris four points total <laughs> can, I, can I say something about McLaren because uh, yes. I feel like McLaren is oh, I mean, that, that one hurts but the thing is I, they have been kind of unlucky a little bit because and this is me justifying why they're not doing so well um, they have had some mechanical issues so Daniel's engine went in Brazil um, fuel sensor in Qatar Lando's tire went in Qatar, um, and before before the triple header, they basically had a, a clean sheet actually for mechanical issues. Um, they also Lando remember got knocked out in Brazil. He he touched the the tire of Carlos Sainz, um, and they recreated it on the golf course. By the way, great video that <laughs> one, um, and. Uh, you know that that ruined his his race, I think. Um, and then Daniel went you know, had the uh, first lap incident in Mexico where he hit Bottas. Um, and then I suppose it kind of I felt like after Sochi when the rain came down on McLaren, it kind of it started to rain then, and it's been pouring since. Yeah. Um, so there is a little bit of justification with all these problems. I think they would be much more competitive if if everything had played out quite nicely in those opening laps and they hadn't had the mechanical issues. So, whereas Ferrari, on the other hand, they've decided to completely revamp their strategy, in, i.e. giving themselves a strategy. Congratulations, chaps. <laughs> Playing catch-up, I see. Um, and have get fitted an engine upgrade that seems to be amazing um, <laughs> and, and propelling them into, I suppose, newfound glory. So that's excellent to see. Um, but, yeah, I... I, uh, I I think it's over for McLaren. I think they've done well this year. Um, but the thing is, as well, and this is my final bit of justification, is they spend all of their tokens on getting that Mercedes engine at the beginning of the year. Whereas other 
teams like Ferrari had the opportunity to do upgrades throughout. So I think given that they made the big jump to Mercedes and have done little in the way of car progression, they have actually done a very good job. Yeah, but you've got to think we, you, early on we were saying like, P3 and the constructors like fully thrown it away yeah 100%. and now we're looking at like oh but you know you never know what they can do in the future next year etc but it's over now <laughs> and so ends this episode of F1 in review and with it the triple header that we've just come across in terms of Formula 1 there will now be a break before the final two races of this season and on the 3rd of December we're going to Saudi Arabia uh, to go to that circuit, the Jeddah International Street Circuit, uh, by name the first time once again. That will be in Formula One, a bit of a theme here in terms of that in Qatar. And then we're going after that on the 10th of December to a reformed and renewed Abu Dhabi where we will finally see who wins the championship, the drivers and the constructors, and where everybody else falls in the grand scheme of Formula One 2021. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. Just thinking, the yes. biggest thing against Mercedes winning the constructors is the fact that Bottas has got bad luck. It wouldn't be <laughs> ironic if the thing that defeated Mercedes was Mercedes. Hard <laughs> <Yeah>. downfall. <laughs> you never know.